Okay. Sony, here's what I'm going to do today. I'm so excited about this, obviously this book being out that I, my heart's been on this subject. And I want to talk to you today about what I call having a praying spirit, having a praying spirit. It's my strong belief. In other words, I start from this premise, my belief that every Christian wants to pray. If you don't pray, it's not because you don't want to. It's either because you, you've gotten busy and distracted and have let other things get in the way, or it's simply because you don't know how to pray in a way that has become satisfying and fulfilling. You know, people want, they're in, when you're born again, there is, there is something of the Spirit of Christ that is birthed in you that, that wants to pray. In other words, you, you, that draws you to God. So people don't, when they don't pray, it's not because they don't want to. It's for other reasons. And if you begin to pray, once you begin to see the beauty in prayer, the joy in prayer, the satisfaction in it, when it, it comes alive and then prayer no longer becomes a duty, it no longer becomes an obligation. Prayer is, I'm going to just quote this. This is a quote out of the, that book. My book is God Listening. Listen to this. Prayer is the most wonderful endeavor you will ever embark on. The prayer room is the sweetest place on earth. There you will find forgiveness that offers you a fresh start. You'll find friendship and fellowship that far surpasses any human relationship. There you will hear the voice of God leading you and bringing the words of Scripture alive. You will find comfort when you're hurting, faith when you're challenged, peace in the midst of a storm, and joy when you're discouraged. In prayer, you will find power to intercede for your loved ones, boldness to petition God for your own needs, and the dealings of God to shape you into the person that God has designed you to be. Prayer is the greatest and the most rewarding activity you could ever engage in. Through it, God conducts all of his business on earth. And so when I say that, that prayer is the most beautiful place on earth for the Christian, then why is it that many Christians don't pray? When I talk about, say don't pray, I'm talking about a regular, having a regular daily prayer life. Or if they do pray, why is it that many Christians find prayer not as satisfying and enjoyable as it should be? To many Christians, prayer is more of an obligation. It's something I put on my schedule and I get done in the morning. So why is it that if prayer is so wonderful, why is it that people struggle with it so much? And I have found that the reason is this, and that is because prayer is a secret. It's a secret place. Psalm 91.1, the psalmist says this, He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. So God calls time with him or prayer the secret place. In other words, it's a secret. Why? You say, why is it a secret? It's not because God is hiding it from us. It's because prayer is only to be engaged in with our spirits. Your heads, your mind, your flesh can never lead the way. Now listen to this because, you know, you may not understand where I'm going in this point for just a minute. But if you listen to me, I'll explain to you that many times what Christians do when they pray so many times is that we enter into prayer 
which is an activity that is totally unlike anything else we ever do in life. Come on, think about this. Listen, there is nothing we do in life like prayer. And the reason is, is because prayer exists in a different realm than anything else that we do in life. We conduct ourselves in this natural world using our minds, our reasoning, our intellect, our emotions, our five senses, our flesh. But then when we pray, listen to this, we try to enter into prayer with all of those things leading the way also. When the Bible tells us very clearly in 2 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, it says the natural man, meaning your flesh, your mind, your flesh, your senses, your feelings. The Bible says the natural man cannot receive the things of the Spirit of God. It says he, he will not, nor can he, because they are spiritually discerned. Are you with me now? In other words, when your head is leading the way or your emotions are leading the way, you'll never be able to contact God. You are a spirit being. That's who you are. You are not a physical man. You have a physical body. That, that body you live in, as Paul calls it, your tent. It's a temporary dwelling. It's only given you to house your spirit man, the real you, while you're living in this earth. And it's the real you that contacts God. All the rest of that stuff, your flesh, your emotions, your mind, your intellect, all those things... All of those things, your intellect is, meant to, is, is, is designed to contact and relate to the intellectual world. Your flesh, there's five senses are designed to contact and, and relate with the physical world. But it's your spirit man that is designed to contact and relate with God. Are you with me, Sam? And so the thing is, prayer is a spiritual activity. And what I'm telling you is, that's the reason many Christians miss it is because it's a secret place to the mind. Your emotions will never find it. Your, your intellect will never find it. Your reasoning will never find it. Are you all listening to me today? Hallelujah. And so the thing is, is this, is that because it's a secret to my natural mind, my reasonings, my emotions, my flesh, my five senses, then... I learned that there are secrets to the secret place. In other words, right now, some of you are looking at me like, okay, I think I kind of get it, but I'm not sure I kind of really get it. You know, all right, what does this mean? You know, you know, we're a spirit man, our, our flesh, our mind cannot contact God. Listen to this. There are secrets to tapping into the realm of the spirit in prayer. And here's what they are. Listen to this. Number one is this. And all of these secrets I lay out in great detail in, in my new book. The first one is this. Are you ready? The first one is that you have to buy, first buy the field of prayer. In other words, in Matthew 13, 44, it says this. Look at this. Jesus said again, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. Listen to this. Treasure hidden in a field which a man found and hid. Hid. Look at that language. He found and hid. It was hidden in the field. He found and he hid. And joy, for joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has, and he buys that field. Now, think with me just a moment. This is a parable about the kingdom of God, right? This is, he says, how the kingdom of God works. But what is the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God is how God carries out all of his reign and rule on earth from heaven. You with me now? Come on, say that with me. It's how God carries out all of his reign and rule on earth from heaven. Say it again. On earth 
from heaven. Everything God does, he does on earth from heaven. Are you with me now? So that's what this is a parable about. How God carries out all of his business on earth from heaven. And listen to this. Prayer is the primary way that God carries out all of his business on earth. Thank you, Pastor. Pastor, thank you. Oh. At least the pastor's with me. Listen. Prayer is how God carries out all of his business on earth. Y'all agree with that? And it, that's the divine medium of exchange that God uses. He said, ask of me. Ask of me and I'll give you the nations. He said, whatever you ask, you shall receive. Prayer is the divine exchange. It's the way God carries all of his business. If that's the case, then we can see, assume that this parable is actually can be used as a parable of prayer. Are you with me now? So being used as a parable of prayer, listen to this. God is the treasure. God is always the treasure, not prayer itself, not something that we ask God for and get. God is always the treasure. Remember when he found the field, when he found the treasure, his joy was not for what the treasure could give him. It was not for the field the treasure was in. But it was for the treasure itself. And for the treasure, he bought the field. You will never find the treasure till you buy the field. You listen to me now. You'll never find the treasure till you buy the field. What is buying the field? You ready for this? It's deep. It's deep. You'll never find the treasure of God's presence his awesome daily deposit of his manifest glory and anointing upon your life. His grace upon you to do what he's called you to do and be what he's called you to be. You'll never tap into that stuff until you buy the field of prayer. It says he, for the joy over it, he went and bought the field. What is buying the field? Buying the field is simply showing up no matter what prayer feels like on any given day. What do I mean by that? Anybody who's walked the journey of prayer very long knows this. That you will walk through seasons where it seems like prayer is not working. Where it seems like the heavens are brass. I don't care how spiritual you are. Where it seems like, is God even in this prayer room this morning? And what people do is they make the mistake of thinking because it didn't feel like prayer was working today, they get discouraged and they quit. And buying the field is coming to grips with the fact that I am going to pray and believe that prayer is working and being fruitful whether I feel like it is or not, whether it looks like it is or not, whether it looks like God showed up today or not, I'm still going to show up in prayer. Until you turn in your thinking to where you realize that prayer is not fruitful because you felt like it was fruitful. See, that's why it's a secret hidden from the natural man is because many times people enter into prayer and they say, well, I'm going to pray, but I want it to feel good. I want it to feel like it's working. I want it to seem like something's happening. Y'all with me today? And so we don't, we don't, what we don't realize is all that feel like, 
feel something, you know, all that stuff is the natural man. And the natural man can never contact the things of God or the Spirit of God. So what we're doing is we're trying to measure the fruitfulness of a spiritual activity by a natural result. Do you see that? And that's why prayer is a secret. Because we're over here in a realm that is blind to the things of the Spirit. The realm that cannot know the things of God. The natural man cannot know the things of God. So we're over here in this realm of, I prayed, but you know, it just, it just felt like the heavens are brass. It felt like God wasn't even in the prayer room. It felt like prayer wasn't working. So what? <laughs> Big deal. Welcome to the worldwide club. Anybody who has a wonderful, beautiful prayer life, learns that they go through seasons of great bliss and joy. And they'll also go through seasons of great trying of their faith. Are you with me now? Why is that? Listen to me now. You want to know why? It's because there is this secret that is put to work during dry times. When you pray daily, there will be dry times periods. Are you with me now? Why are there dry periods? Well, it could be many reasons. Sometimes it can be because of us, a number of different things that we may be doing or not doing. But what I want to show you is this. This will stun some of you. There's a deceitfulness to dry times. When we go through dry times, the enemy will try to get us to quit praying. But what we don't realize, you ready for this? Is there's a secret to the secret place. And that secret is this. Sometimes God hides himself. Thank you for that wonderful response there. Listen, if you'll get this, listen. If you'll get this, it'll rock your world. It'll disarm the devil. Listen, listen to this. In the Song of Solomon, chapter 3, look at this. Anybody, I hope you know this, Song of Solomon is the language of lovers. It's, it's written about a lover, a Shulamite woman, and her prince, her lover. But really, it's an analogy of our relationship with our Heavenly Father. So really this is about the love language of the relationship between us and God as lovers. Are you with me? And look what it says. The, the Shulamite says, By night on my bed I sought the one I loved. I sought him, but I did not find him. I will arise now, I said, and go about the city. In the streets and in the squares I will seek the one I love. I sought him, but I did not find him. The watchmen who go about the city found me. I said, Have you seen the one I love? Scarcely had I passed by them when I found the one I love. I held him and would not let him go until I had brought him to the house of my mother and into the chamber of her who conceived me. Wow, that's heavy-duty language, isn't it? Huh? Listen, I know some guys wrestle with this and repel this idea of intimacy between, you know, I mean, big tough guy and, and God. But get over it. Get over it. Listen, because you'll never enter in to the place with God that you're designed to be and live. 
until you learn the, the love language of God with his loved ones. So what's this little parent story about here? You know what it's about? Listen, the Shulamite was going down the street. She had, she had lost her lover. Where's my lover? Where's my lover? Where is he? She couldn't see him anywhere. But the thing is this. Her lover had not gone at all. He was just around the corner. It's, listen, he was there. You ready for this? He was there. She just couldn't see him. He was hiding. And all of a sudden, she goes, there he is. Listen to this. And she found him. But folks, listen, the key to this little story is that when, when her lover hid himself around the corner, she did not stop pursuing him. She pursued him all the more. She thought, just because I can't see him doesn't mean I'm going to stop pursuing him. Just because I can't see him doesn't mean that he doesn't want to be with me. Are you with me now? And the implication is this. Many times we can go into prayer and it seems like God is not there. But folks, trust me. He's there. Sometimes it could be because of our own, maybe we're tired or other things. It could be us. But let me tell you, I've learned that sometimes it's God. Sometimes God hides himself. Why would God hide himself? Two reasons. Number one, God hides himself because we have a tendency to leak as Christians. We drift. And God withdraws himself, hides, so to speak, behind a curtain. Why? To arouse the fresh hunger in our souls that we may seek him all the more so that when we finally find him, then we say, oh, this is the one I love. We have a tendency to grow complacent. So God withdraws. He doesn't leave, but he hides. Secondly, God hides even from those who are diligently pursuing him. Why? To draw us even to deeper realms of his presence and his glory. You can only go as deep as your hungers will draw you. Are you with me now? You'll only go as far as you are hungry for God. Are you with me now? Somebody shout yes. Hallelujah. My goodness. Now listen to this. So anyway, the secret of God hiding himself. I want to give you another secret. Y'all ready for another secret? All right, here we go. Listen to this. I might skip that secret. Can I skip that secret? All right, no, I won't skip it. Here we go. I'll give, you, I'll give it to you real quick. Listen. This is the secret of shutting the door. So these things strong, sound strange, don't they? Shutting the door. But here it is. Look in Matthew 6, 6. This is Jesus again. He says, but you, when you pray, go into your room, and when you have shut your door... Pray to your Father who is in the secret place. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you only, openly. So he says, when you go and you pray, when you go into your room, shut your door. I mean, it's a very powerful, pointed statement. He said, then pray to your Father who is in the secret place. What does he mean, shut the door? I learned this a long time ago. That one of the greatest hindrances to prayer 
is not the devil, but it's a wandering mind. And when he says, when you pray, go into the room and shut the door, he's saying to us, what you need to do is you need to shut out. When, you come, when it comes time to pray, we treat prayer too casually. We kind of saunter into it, put it on our schedule in the morning as another item just be checked off in the morning. Yeah, yeah I've done that. But we don't come to the place where we shut everything out and we shut ourselves in with God. The Bible says that Jesus, when he went to pray, it says things like he went up to a solitary place. He went into the wilderness. He went into the mountains. He went off by himself. All of these things are basically saying that Jesus, he thought it important when it came time to pray to shut the door on everything else and everybody else. Listen, if you don't, when it comes time to pray, if you don't shut the door, meaning shut the door, leaving everything behind that you have to do today, everything that you did yesterday, all your problems, all your, all your issues, all your schedule, you've got to shut it out. Listen, I've watched so many Christians miss the beauty of prayer because they sit down to pray or kneel to pray. But their mind has never become still before the presence of God. Oh, the Bible says, be still and know that I am God. You cannot know him in his person until you still your mind of all the things that occupy it throughout the day. You with me now? In other words, it's not like you can go from one thing and then rush in and say, okay, i got to do this prayer thing. Oh, I'm going to read my scripture and I want to pray. Oh, thank you, thank you, Jesus. Okay, and I'm going to go on my way. You have to bring everything to a standstill. You have to bring everything to a halt. Are you with me now? Where you just, it's like you step. I almost look at it like stepping over a threshold, like I'm stepping out of this world over into another world. And nothing of my schedule or my day or my problems are going to intrude upon this world. This is me and God alone. Nobody will enter there. No thing will enter there. Isn't that beautiful? And when you shut everything out and you come to the place of standing still before God, your mind becomes focused. You know, many people don't discipline their minds enough to enter into the secret place. I remember I used to have this problem. You just, I'd be in prayer and because my mind wasn't disciplined, there would come a fly, a fly on the wall. And I'm, all, I'm like, oh, Jesus. And now I'm looking at the stupid fly. Like that's important or something. The fly. What a big, what's the big deal? Now I'm watching the fly fly around. And to the degree I've become distracted, to that degree I've left the secret place. Do you see that? I've stepped out of the secret place. I'm going to tell you, you need to be careful in taking your phone into the prayer, into the secret place. I say be careful. I would just say to leave it out. But I realize that you know, we have our Bibles on there many times and other resources. But you've got to find some way to silence all of those notifications, texts and calls and everything else. Because you, I've, I've, I've witnessed it myself. You can be in prayer. Oh, 
and the prince gone, and all of a sudden you get a text, boom, and it's like you're distracted. You pick that up, and people don't even realize this is important. They, they, you know, to, to leave that alone. They, they're praying, oh God, and they get a text. So they answer the text, they go, oh now God, they get another text. They answer, the, oh God, now they get another notification, oh God, now they're on their Facebook, oh God. It's like they're just schizophrenics, you know. It's like, you know, they don't realize that Jesus said it's important to shut the door. Shut out this world. Shut yourself in with God. Hallelujah. Ah, I love it. You sang, started with the hymn, this hymn this morning. I love the old hymns. Because you know something? Many times some of these old hymn writers knew things that have been forgotten today. And look, I remember growing up as a kid with songs in the church. That you don't even hear this language anymore. But listen to this. There's an old song that we sang when I was a kid. And it goes like this. Listen, why would they write this? It goes, shut in with God in a secret place. There in the Spirit, beholding His face. I'm gaining new power to run in the race. I love to be shut in with God. The hymn writer understood something about the importance of shutting yourself in and shutting everything else out. Somebody shout hallelujah. Huh? All right, can I give you another one? Oh, these are good little tidbits. I'm going to give you this. One. Hallelujah. This will be the last one, all right? Is that all right? Yeah. Hallelujah. What time is service over? You didn't even ask you. 10 15? 10 Oh, dude, I got 19 minutes. 19 and a half. No, listen. Watch this. Here we go. Watch this. I'm going to give you two actually. Let me just say this. Let me just say this. Let, watch this. Let's go back to this Matthew 6, 6 again where Jesus says, but you, when you pray, go into your room. And when you've shut your door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place. Pray to your Father who is in the secret place. Pray to your Father who is in the secret place. And your Father who sees in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. I was reading this one day. And it all of a sudden exploded in me. That when he says to go into the prayer room, he didn't say go into the prayer room and when you get there, pray for a while. And if you cry out to God to come long enough, that God will come and he'll meet with you. Jesus actually says, when you go into your room, shut the door and pray to the Father who is in the secret place. It all of a sudden jumped out at me. That God is already in the secret place before you ever get there. And the Lord says, this is a secret. I know I struggled with this for a long time. I would pray and spend the first 15 minutes of my prayer time trying to get to the place where I felt like God showed up finally so I could pray. I would cry, oh God, God, I love you. Come on, God, please come today. And please meet with me, God. Please come. You with me now? And, and... The Bible says, Jesus said, come and pray to the Father who is already in the secret place. In other words, he's already there waiting on you to come and get there. It's like 
It revolutionized my thing. You know, when I thought, how stupid this is what I've been doing. Oh, Jesus, come. Please come. It's like saying to my wife, you know, my wife's right here. And I say, oh, Donna, please come. Come, God, please come. Please come. Hear me. Please be with me. Please come. Come. Would you please come? And she'd say, you idiot. I'm already here. <laughs> you with me? Revelation 3.20. Jesus said, behold. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone will open, I don't know about you. He said, I will come and sup with you, dine with me and I with him. I don't know about you, but it's always blown my mind. The picture, I can't even hardly think about. It's like the picture of Jesus. Jesus, the King of Kings, the Court of Lords, standing at my door, knocking, wanting me to answer. It blows my mind. God, what in the world does it do for us to know that God is already there in the secret place waiting for us? Here's what it does. The reason we struggle trying to get God to show up is because we feel less than desirable to meet with God. In other words, we feel like we're not worthy, that God really doesn't want to see our face. So we've got to pray for a while and really work up, you know, the presence of God, you know, so that God will look at us and smile upon us and meet with us. And we don't realize if God is already in the secret place waiting for us, it means he's already decided that he wants us and is ready to accept us before we even come in and get there. And once I realize that, I begin to enter into the prayer room and instead of praying, oh, Jesus, come, please come and be with me today. I would watch this. I would step into the prayer room. I'd lean back and take a deep breath and go, God, it's good to be with you today. You get that? God, it's good to be with you today. You say, but you don't know what I've done. It doesn't make any difference what you've done. He's not there waiting on you because of what you've done or haven't done. It's because of what Jesus did in your behalf. And he sees you through the blood of Jesus Christ. Come on, somebody shout hallelujah. Listen to this. The last secret is this. Hallelujah. The last secret is simply this, and that is that it's what I call the secret of feeling beautiful. The secret of feeling beautiful to God. Here's what I mean by this. You know, you take my wife, my wife, for example. You know, my wife is beautiful. I think everyone would agree with that. Thank you very much. All right. And, you know, it doesn't happen anymore. She's confident now, very confident. But years ago, my wife would come out of the bathroom, and I could tell some days she felt confident. Some days she didn't feel like she, you know, well, something's wrong. I, I don't look beautiful today. And, you know, I'd have to convince her, you look beautiful. You know, she thought maybe she had a bad hair day or, you know, something on her garment or some, something wrong with her garment, you know, and, I, and she didn't realize that she's beautiful before she ever makes her hair up, before anything, before she prepares herself for the morning, that she's beautiful. But we're like that. Many times people will come into the presence of God with a spot. On their robe of righteousness. 
And it's like, you ever, you ever had a spot on your clothing yet in the morning? It was small, but you went, you wore it that day, and, and all day long, all you could think about was that spot. Right? Even though it was so small, no one ever saw it but you. But you thought it was like a big flashing light. Woo! That's the way we are. Because of it, we get a spot on our robe of righteousness. We come into the presence of God. And we somehow think that that's all God can see. When we don't realize all he sees is he sees that robe washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. So we've had a, we think we've had a bad spiritual hair day. And we've got to come and earn our place with God. I don't feel attractive to God. And so what happens is we begin to perform before God. And we lose the beauty of the relationship. You know, I remember when I started praying. I decided years ago when I was a young man, I decided I'm going to be a great man of prayer. And so I started out praying. And I remember the first day I looked at my watch and I said, I'm going to pray for one hour. Because I'd heard somebody preach, you got to pray for one hour. That's the magic time. And so... I said, I'm going to pray for one hour. So I set the wall. And I started in. Here we go. I started praying. I prayed for everything I could think of. I prayed for my family, cats and dogs, the missionaries, everybody around the world. And I prayed until I could think of nothing else to pray for. And when I ran out of anything to pray for, I thought, surely an hour must have passed by now. And I looked down at my watch, and five minutes had passed. <laughs> Five minutes had passed. I remember thinking, oh, I don't, I will never be a man of prayer. Five stinking minutes. I'll never make this. But you know what? Listen, I kept on pushing. I was diligent. I performed. Man, I'm going to get this done. Five, ten minutes, 15, 20, 30. Finally, I made it to an hour. And now I was praying an hour every day. And I felt pretty good about myself. You know, praying an hour every day. Rick's doing good. You know, it's interesting, isn't it? How that when you feel like you're performing well, you feel good. Ah, oh, man. I really feel like God loves me. I'm praying an hour every day. And then I went to a conference. And I remember hearing this preacher say, no, not one hour. He said, you've got to tithe your time to God, which is two hours and 40 minutes. I remember thinking, I would, oh, God, two hours and 40 minutes. Now, watch this. It's interesting. Watch how, we, how our soul works. Before I heard that, I was perfectly confident and at peace with God at one hour a day. When I heard, no, it's two hours and 40 minutes, I felt like I was totally backslidden. I was lost. I thought, Rick, I don't know if I can do that. But you know what? I set out to do it. I was determined, and I got to two hours and 40 minutes. I was praying two hours and 40 minutes a day. Once I got to two hours and 40 minutes a day, I felt so confident. I was so at peace. I felt God loved me. Until I went to a conference. You've got to be careful about conferences, folks. <laughs> I went to a conference, and it was the pastor of the world's largest church speaking. 
from South Korea. His name was Dr. David Yonggi Cho. And Dr. Cho got up and he spoke on prayer. And here's what he said. He said, oh, he said, I pray five hours every day. He said, you pastors, if you want the blessing of God, you must pray five hours every day. I remember I got mad. I was so mad. I thought I'll never be a man of prayer. That's it. I'm done. I can't pray five hours a day. I felt totally lost in the effort. And then a few years later, I was talking to a friend of mine, a minister friend of mine, who actually was on Dr. Cho's board. And he told me, he says, about how he was playing golf with Dr. Cho. Dr. Cho loved to play golf. He's play, I was playing golf with him, and he said, Dr. Cho would hit the ball, he'd go, and then, so, oh, hallelujah, thank you, Jesus. He'd hit the ball again. Oh, hallelujah, thank you, Jesus. I love you. He hit the ball again. All day long he's doing it. He said, I said to him, said, Dr. Cho, what are you doing? He said, oh. He said, this is part of how I get five hours of day in. He said, I play golf and pray. I was so mad. I thought, you didn't tell me about the golf. You just told me about the praying. I didn't know you did four hours of it on the golf course. You know, it really did make me mad. But you know what? All of a sudden, something clicked in me. It's like the Lord spoke to me. He said, Rick, it's the problem is not his. The problem is yours. He says, he's fully at peace and content in me. He'll spend that hour or so in private prayer with me in the morning, and then he'll go out and do the rest out there on the golf course or whatever, wherever. He said, that's his relationship with me. He said, but you're stuck in the religion of dead works. Trying to earn a place with me. He said, prayer is not a performance to be accomplished. He said, it's a relationship to be enjoyed. And when, I, when he said that, all of a sudden it began to hit me. The, all the books that I had read, I don't know why I didn't see it before. The old classics by guys... Anybody knows the old classics, knows names like R.A. Torrey or A.W. Or, um, or, uh, Tozer or Andrew Murray, all these guys. And it all of a sudden hit me that these guys that wrote these classics on prayer, in all of their books, there was no mention of any of the rules or regulations. And they're listening to this. And not once was there a mention of how much time you should pray. The, all of the books were only about the loving relationship with God. And it dawned on me that I had missed the whole point. I learned that from then on, I said, I will never again stand before a congregation and ever suggest to them an amount of time to pray. People try to get me to, but it's dangerous. Because you get your mind on patterns and regulations and rules it's about the relationship are you with me in that same passage listen to this in that same passage i was reading song of solomon there's a passage there Whoa. oh thank you yeah all right listen to this this is song of solomon chapter 4 verse 1 
Listen to this statement. The lover says, Behold, you are fair, my love. Behold, you are fair. Behold, you are fair, my love. Behold, you are fair. Listen to this. God began to speak to me one day, and I saw this passage. And I saw that God, in essence, through this, calls us his love. You are fair, my love. You are fair. And the Lord spoke this to me. He said, many Christians need an adjustment in the way they think about my love toward them. He said, we often say, God loves you. God loves me. He said, but we don't realize that God doesn't just love us, but he's in love with us. Look, do you understand the difference? Can I tell you that, listen, I love Pastor Matt. I love him very much, but I am not in love with him. Do you understand that? Are we clear? See, even your response shows how vast the difference is. I would say to Matt, I love that guy. But I would never call him my love. I love this one. I'm in love with that one. Do I need to stand here today and delineate the differences between the two and how it plays out? It's altogether different when he says, you're fair, my love, you're fair. There's a great classic, one of the greatest ever, Pilgrim's Progress, written by uh, Bunyan. And what was his first name? Bunyan. Not Paul Bunyan. <laughs> Lord have mercy. That's funny. His name was John Bunyan. John Bunyan. Listen to this. He wrote Pilgrim's Progress. John Bunyan was at a service one night, a church service, and he heard the preacher preach on this Song of Solomon 4.1. Behold, you are fair, my love. Behold, you are fair. Up until that time, John Bunyan had struggled greatly with condemnation and sense of unworthiness. So bad, he was never at rest. He said, as he was walking home after that message, he said, when he heard this, you are fair, my love, you are fair. He said, over and over, like 20, 30 times, he heard this go over in his mind. My love, my love, my love. You're my love, you're my love. He said, I begin to think, could it be true that I am his love? He said that he's actually in love with me and doesn't just love me. He said, if it's true, he said it would change everything. He said, I would never doubt again God's forgiveness and his love. He said, but on the other side, he said, I'm in fear that it may not be true. Because he said, how could it be when I am so, when I fall so short and I have failed so much? And the people that I've known who've loved me, family and friends, they did it conditionally with stipulations. He said, so I'm caught between the two. 
And he said, all of a sudden, God spoke to him. As soon as he got home, he opened his Bible. And the Lord spoke this to him. Romans chapter 8. Look at this. You all know this passage, but listen to this. He said, all of a sudden, God says, go to Romans 8. Here's what he read. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen and is even at the right hand of God and also makes intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things... We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor any height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of Christ, God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Bunyan said whenever he finished reading that, he said all of a sudden light just exploded in his soul. And he shouted, it's true, it's true. God doesn't just love me. I am his love. And which means, till death do his part, in sickness or in health, rich or poor, better or worse, God is in love with me. And all of a sudden it changed everything for him. And I tell you this, God doesn't just love you, he's in love with you. He knows where you've been, he knows what you've done, he knows what you haven't done. He knows the mistakes you've made, he knows how carnal how you've been, he knows the sins you committed. But listen, God doesn't just love you. He is in love with you. He is already in the room waiting on you to show up.